Father, you are so good. Your love is so sure, God. Our confidence is in you. And like a good, good Father, you are always there. Your arms are always open. We let us approach you with every burden, every struggle. And Father, your presence is available in this place here and now. So church, whatever you walked in today with, any baggage, lay it down at his feet. Because he's a good, good Father. He hears your heart. As we approach you, God, with assurance, as I've carried a burden that you long on my own. Yes. And I wasn't created to bear it all. Lord, you are enough. Yeah. I hear your invitation. To let it all go And I see it now I'm laying it down And I know that I need you Yes, I run to the Father I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait My heart needs a searching Him. In his majesty, in 
church, the Bible says that we have not received a spirit that makes us a slave to fear, but we have received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. By him we cry out to God as our dad on Father's Day, and we worship you this morning for that, Lord. We delight in you. We thrill to call you our Father on this day. Be glorified. Be glorified in our praise. We worship you. Church, let us, let us please his heart by praying together 
the way that he taught us to pray as a family, as one family in Christ. Let us offer together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. The spirit of sonship. God intends for you and I to cry out to him. Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. With all the intimacy and love that goes with it. Because that's how he receives us. Amen. Would you take a moment and greet the person next to you? Be sure and pass on a Father's Day as needed. Happy Father's Day. Would you do that? Well, good morning, church. On this Father's Day, we have a little something special for the hearts of the dads. Give your attention to the screen, would you? Father's Day to the guys. You know, their dads are just a little bit weird, and so we, we just got to bless them <laughs> and bless them in a way that they understand. But hey, happy Father's Day to all of us who are celebrating being dads today. Hope that your family is planning to bless you. I know my son and his fiance are coming over, barbecuing this afternoon. It's going to be great. Can I ask, you knew this was coming, fellas, would you stand up so we can just appreciate the dads on Father's Day? Would you stand up and do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a real thing. You know, they, they get whatever they want today. My wife says, how is that like any other day? Uh, different than any other day, but yeah, we, we appreciate you, fellas, and and uh, your role in our lives and all the things you didn't know what to do as well as the things you did know what to do, we are blessed. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God says he makes himself known to us through our dads in some very special ways. So good stuff, good stuff. Happy Father's Day. Welcome. What a glorious weekend. Feels outstanding. Uh, feels like we finally turned the corner and uh, made it into summer couple of quick things, friends, to share with us before we 
open God's word together and continue this, this fun journey in the Minor Prophets. Um, one is that, that next Sunday evening, real significant, important time, that's going to be our annual business meeting here at MRCC. Now, we didn't have one in 2020 because of everything that was going on. And so this is kind of a catch-up for the last two years. And so I want to invite you to please come and join us for an hour next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. If you're a member of MRCC, it's really important that you be there. But even if you're not a member, if this is your home church, please come and join us. We're going to talk about a couple of important things. One is we just give our financial report like we do every year, uh, share that, that transparency and accountability with our, each other as a church. But then the other thing is, is we want to share some of the pictures and plans, drawings and diagrams about our, our building plans going forward. As many of us know, we've had an incredibly dedicated team of people uh, working on this for us as a church for the last couple of years. And we want to share some of those plans going forward because God willing, we could be breaking ground on a new children's wing as soon as this winter. And we're excited about that. We're really looking forward to that and the plans on that. So next Sunday evening at 6, if you can join with us for an hour, that would be terrific. The annual business meeting will happen. By the way, there won't be elections this year for deacons. Our next elections will be in the spring, and we'll talk about that as well uh, at the annual business meeting. And then the second thing is that, hey, our, our summer camps for our kids and teenagers are rapidly approaching. Middle school's just a few weeks, a couple, three weeks away. Uh, high school camp's just a month away. And so we need to get registrations accomplished and, and permission slips and all that kind of stuff taken care of. You can do that online through the church website. You can also call the office or talk to Pastor Josh, our youth pastor, uh, uh, about that. Get those details uh, figured out. Uh, as always, we want to emphasize that if your teenager wants to be part of middle school, high school camp, and maybe you can't swing the cost of that, or you can only afford part of the cost of that, especially if you have multiple kids, let us know. Uh, we're a family, and one of the reasons we give is in order to help each other with things like this. Uh, summer camp is a precious, powerful experience, and every teenager should have the opportunity to go to it. So just contact us. Let us know if you need help. You can talk to Pastor Josh, uh, contact him through the church office, and he'll work with you to make sure that you your students are able to participate. Right behind that is Kids Camp coming up uh, the first part of August. So, um, you know, they're right around the corner, all, all of those things. And then the last thing is that um, on July 18th will be our church picnic. We didn't, we got rained out last time. Several people have asked me when is the next one. It's July 18th. So it's closing in fast on us. And we're going to have a terrific time. The water slides, all that good stuff. So the 18th of July. And huge thanks to... Uh, Everybody, so many of the people that had volunteered for the last picnic when we got rained out said, hey, just sign me up to serve at the next one. So huge thanks to everybody uh, who responded that way. Grab your Bible this morning, friends, and open it to Micah, another one of these minor prophets. Feel free to go to the front of your Bible, look in the table of contents, find the page for Micah. It's no problem with that. We're in a, a, a fun and unique journey this summer called the Magnificent Seven, and we have been meeting some of God's minor prophets. These are parts of the Bible that many people never get around to, that many people never discover. And we have, in the last two weeks, met two of God's minor prophets. We met Habakkuk in the first week and heard him talk to us about how the righteous live by faith, what that means, and what that has to do with our relationship with God. Last week, we met Hosea and felt what God feels. Got a glimpse into the very heart of a living Father God last week. This morning, we're going to meet a prophet named Micah. And, and while the last two weeks have been very emotional, powerful encounters, today is going to be a little different because the message that Micah has to bring is kind of like a dad saying, you got to eat your vegetables, you got to buckle your seatbelt. What Micah is going to say to us, while equally as important and significant, is going to have a different tone. So Micah, the prophet Micah. And as we open his book together, let me ask you this. What, what is or was your dad like? If you had to describe your dad, how would you describe him? My, my dad was the kind of guy who would invite you to pull his finger, if you know what I mean, all right? That was, that was where my dad was coming from. 
He liked pork rinds, pro wrestling, and Merle Haggard. <laughs> He, he grew up barefoot on a sharecropper's farm in Missouri, which if you're from there, you call Missouri. That, that, that was my dad in a nutshell. He was a backhoe operator, a very good one, uh, served his family relentlessly, raised five kids, uh, three of which were not his biological children. His faithfulness in my heart is a big deal. And my, my dad took work very seriously. I had chores, and if I, I dropped the ball and didn't do them, that was serious business. And I have had a thousand opportunities in my life to be thankful for the way he rebuked me when it came to work. Let me say that again. I've had a thousand opportunities in my life to thank him for the way he rebuked me when it came to work as a young man. You know, one of the most important things a good dad does is discipline his kids. But sometimes we resent it so much that we can't feel the value of it in the moment. Instead, sometimes we just get mad. You heard about the little boy who was filling a big hole in the flower bed between his yard and the neighbor's yard. The neighbor saw him doing this, and he came over and asked him what he was doing. And the boy said, I'm burying my goldfish. And when he said it, he sounded angry. The neighbor was taken back. He said, well, that's, that's an awfully big hole to bury a goldfish. Why are you digging such a big hole? The boy said, that's because my fish is still inside your cat. <laughs> Sometimes we just get mad, don't we? Sometimes we just get mad when it comes to being rebuked. But one of the most important things, friends, that a Father God will do for us is rebuke us. Let that sink in for a moment. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, rebuke a wise man and he will love you for it. God says, though, that the time will come when men won't put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's God warning about a tendency that all of us have and that we have to be aware of. In the same spirit... Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. They don't seem dangerous, but the reality is they're incredibly dangerous. A good dad, a good mom, a good parent will rebuke us, and a wise son or daughter will deeply appreciate that rebuke. And as we grow up, we learn to appreciate it even more. Now, I bring that up, friends, because the prophet Micah battled false prophets who constantly told God's people only what they wanted to hear, especially the idea that God somehow doesn't rebuke us or that the worship of God and country are the same thing or that anything less than justice and the pursuit of justice is okay with him. Micah battled false prophets who relentlessly told the people what they wanted to hear. And as a consequence, his book is a warning to us to be willing to receive from a Father God the love that comes through being rebuked. So turn to Micah chapter 1 this morning and also to Hebrews chapter 12 and let's, let's let God speak to us in this moment from his word. Now a little bit of context. In Micah's day, things were tough. You can get a little background and context for what's happening in Micah's day in 2 Chronicles 28 and 2 Kings 16. And, and what you'll find out there is that at this time in, in Israel's history, there was a bloody civil war going on between the northern and southern parts of what had previously been thought of as the promised land, but now was divided 
Israel in the north and Judah in the south. The, the ten tribes, generally speaking, in the north, the two tribes in the south were, were, were at arms against each other. And the southern part, Judah, where Micah was at this time, thought itself far superior to the north. Why? Because the southern part still worshipped in Jerusalem, still worshipped in the city of King David, still worshipped in the capital of what had formerly been the nation altogether of Israel. They thought of themselves as superior because they still worshipped in Jerusalem. But what Micah is going to say is, guys, you're missing it. You are completely missing it. And we pick that up right away. In Micah chapter 1, verse 5, right at the beginning of his prophecy, here's what Micah says to the people. He says, what is Judah's high place? That's a significant term. I'll explain it in a moment. What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Now, to our modern ears, that may sound like something difficult to understand. So, so let me give you a little background. The high places in the land were the places where the pagan gods were worshipped. The true religion of the one true God rejected the high places. So the people were taught to avoid those places. It was another way of avoiding false prophets. Don't go up to the high places where false gods are worshipped. Stay down in God's word, in God's truth, and worship there. So when Micah calls Jerusalem Judah's high place, it is a conviction. It is an accusation. It is a rebuke. He's saying to them, you think that you're at the center of God's will because of where you worship, but in fact, Jerusalem is your high place where you worship a false god. Now, friends, we, we want to understand this this morning. Judah believed that being in the right place was a substitute for being the right person. That's a false faith. God tells us, 1 Samuel chapter 16, that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. The people had forgotten that. And they were saying to themselves, we're God's nation, so we're good no matter what. After all, here we are in Jerusalem. But they were horribly wrong, and from the outset, Micah calls their attention to it. You know, a modern equivalent would be if we were to dare to say to ourselves, because we're Americans, we're more godly than Muslims, Hindus, or Buddhists. No, that's not true. Americanism and Christianity are not synonymous. They are two different things. And we are at our best as citizens when we place our King Jesus first. Micah isn't concerned with false kings or false princes or false businessmen. He's concerned with false prophets. Why? Because at the end of the day, friends, please understand this about yourself, about each other, about our society, about our culture. At the end of the day, the most powerful influence in anybody's life is whatever we believe to be true about God. That is the case whether you're a believer or not. That is the case whether you're churched or not. All people have ideas about God, and they are the most powerful influences in our lives. So here's the question that Mike is going to confront us with. Who do you trust to tell you the truth about God? Who do you trust to tell you the truth about God? Pop musicians? I hope not. Social media influencers? I hope not. Your neighbor, the guy on YouTube, or maybe just yourself? I hope not. Micah is going to confront Judah for doing just that. Listen to how he puts it. And by the way, Micah can be a sarcastic guy, so you're going to pick up on that as we go through this. Chapter 2, verse 11, Micah says this, If a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he'd be just the prophet for these people. Right? Because that's what they want to hear. That's what they want to hear. There is a part of us that only wants to hear what we think we already know or what blesses us, we think. I mentioned my dad and his attitude about my chores. Here's what I understand now, is that my dad had the rare grace to understand that he wasn't in my life to make me comfortable, but to help me learn the joy of being unafraid of being uncomfortable. 
that's a rich lesson. We would spend most of every summer chopping wood for ourselves and our friends, and I hated it. To this day, I will not have a fireplace in my house (laughs) because I don't want to chop wood anymore. I chopped enough of it, but we were relentlessly dragged out and hauled wood, and I'm sure in my little boy's imagination, it was much worse than it actually was. But I learned something in all those days. I learned that when you're dragged out there to do that, if you'll just shut up and put your head down and get to work... It's over much sooner than you think. And there's actually a sense of satisfaction that goes with it. And I can't tell you how many times, like probably many of us could say the same thing, I can't tell you how many times that's blessed me over the course of life. How many times I've been, uh, you know, blessed by employers when they see that work ethic. When there's a hard job and you just say, well, somebody's got to do it, let's do it. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that. Micah says, though, the people of Judah only want to hear prophets that tell them what they want to hear. Micah goes on to say, for example, in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, As for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he doesn't, they prepare to wage war against him. In other words, the people were cultivating a mercenary attitude in their prophets. The people were supporting the prophets that told them what they wanted to hear and rejecting the prophets who gave him a different message. And he adds sarcastically, verse 11, chapter 2, if a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I'll prophesy wine and beer, that'd be just the prophet for these people. When we won't allow God's prophets to rebuke us, can can I just stop for a second? I'm talking about myself too. When we won't allow God's prophets to step into our lives, our real everyday lives, our marriages, our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our social media, When we won't allow God to step into our lives and rebuke us, that's the sign that we're in a dangerous place. As a parent, think of how important it is to you that your kids hear what you're saying to them, especially as they grow up into their teenage years, maybe most of all as they move into those young adult years. You so desperately want them to hear you. That's what our Father God feels. And that's why he says to us, pay attention to who you're letting talk to you about the truth about God. When we don't allow any prophets who rebuke us, we can be sure that the ones we have are false. Let me say that again. When we won't allow any prophets to rebuke us, we can be sure the ones we have are false. Think of it this way. What do you look for in a doctor? Do you want her to be hip and cool and flashy and always tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want her to be smart and sober, serious and well-educated and tell you the hard truth? Well, the same applies to the people we choose to allow to speak into our lives about God. Uh, uh, Friends, your, your Bible is filled with God's repeated lengthy warnings about false prophets. And sometimes we, we just don't think about it. We don't pay attention to that reality, even though the most powerful influence in our lives is these ideas we gather about God. We, we don't exercise discernment. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said this. He said, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, you put up with it easily enough. You go along with it. You tolerate it. But he says such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Can I tell you something about the devil? He will almost always tell you exactly what you want to hear. He will agree with you about every fight you're having with your spouse. He will point out how unfairly you are being treated by every employer you ever have. He will relentlessly call your attention to the injustices that you feel are being perpetrated upon you. He will always agree with you and tell you what you don't want to hear because that's the nature of a false prophet. The people of Micah's day believed that because they were Israelites living in Jerusalem and worshiping in the temple, they were the good guys. And the false prophets agreed. 
But God says, Micah chapter 3, Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Your leaders judge for a bribe, her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet, even though all this is going on, they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come on us. Therefore, God says, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, and the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. In other words, God says, don't fall into the trap of thinking that I, your father, won't rebuke you. My son never suffered from that illusion at any point in his life. (laughs) Hopefully, your kids won't either. Remember that Jesus' worst enemies weren't the Romans or even Herod. It was the religious conservatives, the Pharisees, and the religious liberals, the Sadducees, who were more conservative or liberal than they were godly. Micah is speaking into that kind of reality. You know, let me give you an example. These days, some people worship our American military just like Israel and Judah worship Jerusalem, but that's a mistake. It's just people, some saved, some not. A uniform doesn't make anybody a good guy. Two of my three drill instructors in Marine Corps boot camp wore sparkling uniforms covered with medals and flags, and both were drunken criminals on the side who perjured themselves in courts of law. My platoon gunnery sergeant when I was stationed overseas in Iceland was a top-ranked enlisted leader in the world when we got there. He turned out to be a thief who was embezzling our salary six months later and went to prison. I could go on and on. All of them looked great, but man looks at the outward appearance while God looks at the heart. And that's true as we look at them, and that's true as we look in the mirror. And God is challenging Israel and Judah about those things. Look at what Micah says in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Their prophets say, don't prophesy these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. And listen to Micah's response. This is kind of complex. Micah says, should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord angry? In other words, are you daring to believe that God, a father, would never be angry? Love, by its very nature, is sometimes angry. Should, should, should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord angry? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to them, him whose ways are upright. In other words, God says, Greg, when I step into your life to rebuke you, that's my love for you. That's my care for you. And I know it's unwelcome in the moment, but a wise man learns to receive it. Of course, God rebukes us. He's a father. As you think about this, let me just ask us this morning, what sorts of prophets do you listen to? You know, delivering a rebuke is never easy or fun. It's hard. Micah shares that in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, because of my message, because of this, I weep and I wail. I go about barefoot and naked. I howl like a jackal and mourn like an owl. It's a poetic way of saying this hurts, this sucks, this is no fun to do, but it's got to be done. Every good parent knows what Micah feels like. When you have to step into your child's life and deliver a rebuke, we all want to bless our kids relentlessly, but we know that the best blessing is sometimes a rebuke, and that's how a father God feels about you and me. God's rebuke, make no mistake, is always meant to bring repentance and blessing. So Micah reminds the people at the end of his prophecies, chapter 7, verse 18, he says this, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives transgression? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Why? Because the whole rebuke that Micah gives in the preceding six chapters is coming from the heart of a father God. You know, part of what I hope that we will grasp in this series in the Minor Prophets is that there's a kind of an old wives' tale out there that says the Old Testament and the New Testament have different messages. Nothing could be further from the truth. The only people who say that, they're people who haven't read either seriously. The message is the same from Abraham to Christ. It's the same. And Micah picks up on that. He says, hey, this rebuke I'm bringing you, this is a father's heart. God delights to show mercy and forgiveness. All he's seeking is for me to come to the place of repentance. Think about it for a moment. How can we call God Father without receiving his rebuke? And how can we fail to see his love in it? Real prophets bring 
rebukes. Ken Sand writes about sitting in a stoplight and seeing a, a blind woman with her guard dog going down the sidewalk. The dog, seeing a car parked across the sidewalk in a driveway, pulled back on the harness in order to stop the woman from walking. It was obvious that this irritated her. And when the dog stopped and pulled back, she yanked on the dog. But the dog pulled harder and she yanked harder. Finally, she gave the dog a kick. And then she went forward smack into the parked car in the sidewalk, barking her shins, nearly falling down. And he said, I sat there at the stoplight and watched her heart change. She knelt down, she hugged the dog, she thanked the dog, and let the dog lead her around the parked car. In that spirit, God comes to us. He comes to us with rebukes. Can, can I just say this this morning, friends? Many people don't experience God as their father precisely because they have surrounded themselves with prophets who only say what they want to hear, who never rebuke. Philip Yancey writes about a friend of his named Susan. She, she calls herself a Christ follower, her words, but also her words, quote, my husband doesn't measure up. And so I find that I have God's freedom to actively look for other men to meet my need for intimacy. She goes on to explain that she rises early every day to spend an hour with her father God so she can find guidance in choosing her adultery mates. Friends, that seems like insanity, but that's the kind of reasoning false prophets will lead us into. Yancey says, I asked her if he ever, God, ever mentioned any moral issues with her adultery. She bristled. That's insulting. The father and I are into relationship, not morality. Relationship means being wholly supportive and standing alongside me, not judging me. See if that flies with your dad when you were 14. <laughs> and you'll know the difference between the heart of the real God and the God of the false prophets. The writer of Hebrews calls our attention to this. Listen to what he says. He says, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, you have forgotten, Greg, you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And here's the word. My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Church punishment and discipline are not the same thing, but they are both given to bless. Can I just say this this morning on Father's Day? If God is seeking to rebuke you or even to punish you, rejoice. It means you're His. The neighbors up and down my street, they didn't care about my character. They didn't care about my work ethic. Why? Because I didn't belong to them. But my dad did. And my dad does. And if God in this season of your life is disciplining you or punishing you, lift up your head. Say, wow, God, you're doing that because you're my dad, because I matter to you. That's the nature of the real God. Let me just ask us this morning as we get ready to close, will you let God rebuke you about your tongue or your temper or your selfishness? Will you let God rebuke you about your sexuality or your business habits or the way you treat your wife or your husband? Will you let God rebuke you about your social media habits, about what you watch, about what you listen to? We experience God as Father when we let Him rebuke us. Some of us get our biggest ideas about God from pop music or movies, or politicians, or talk radio. Micah calls us back to the Bible, to the Word of God, to the truth. And so the Scripture says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. You experience God as Father when you let Him rebuke you. I said this was going to be like eating vegetables. It is. But it's good for your soul. It's good for my soul. Through the prophet Micah, God calls us away from our made-up fake religions and back to the plain and simple truth of God.
In chapter 6, Micah delivers the father-hearted message he is most known for, and this is where we conclude. It's a reminder of the difference between a fake, self-deceiving religion and a real one. Here's what Micah says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's all rhetorical. No. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly means being willing to offer a rebuke like you do with your kids. To love mercy means to offer that rebuke with genuine, authentic love. And to walk humbly with your God means being willing to be rebuked. I wonder if there isn't a corner of your life on this Father's Day that God wants to give you a rebuke. Let Him. It means you're His. It's evidence of his love for you. I, I mentioned earlier how much I've learned to appreciate my dad's rebukes, even though they were unpleasant and unwelcome at the time. Will you give yourself the opportunity to do the same? If you do, you'll be glad for it. Finish with a story. Lauren Lax of Nashville, Tennessee, tells how she struggled profoundly with an eating disorder. People knew it, her family, her friends became so obvious that sometimes someone on the street would say, wow, girl, mix in a cheeseburger. Or honey, you need to get some calories. One morning she got up before going to the gym like she did religiously day in and day out, and she weighed herself and found that she weighed just 79 pounds, a grown woman. She said, I looked at that weight and I thought to myself, I'm probably going to die. But then I went to the gym anyway to get on that Stairmaster and lose some more weight. But that morning, a group of people at the gym had organized an intervention. When she parked in the pre-dawn hours, she found her car suddenly surrounded by people from the gym. They converged on her and she said, I felt like a deer in the headlights. But what they said to me was that I had a problem and I needed help. That even though they loved me and loved working out with me, in my case, it had gone way out of bounds. And they insisted on her letting them take her to the hospital, checking her in in order to get the treatment that she needed. Afterwards, Lauren writes, they knew I wasn't well and they loved me enough to say so. That's the spirit in which God rebukes you and me. That's why he puts his finger on parts of your life and says, hey, we need to talk about this. That's why he, he calls us through the prophet Micah to, to eject the false prophets from our lives, to stop listening only to those who tell us what we want to hear, what we think we already know. Because love, a father's love, organizes an intervention and says, hey, Greg, you're not well. Listen to me. Let me rebuke you that you might be made whole. Would you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes? Father, we thank you for your heart, for your word through the prophet Micah. You came to an Israel that was so sure of itself and so wrong about you and about themselves. You came to them and you rebuked them. God, in that same spirit, you come to us to save us. God, this morning on Father's Day, some of us need to hear your rebuke about the way we talk, about the way we behave, about the things we watch, about the ideas we have about you. God, we need your rebuke. And this morning, we thank you that in your love and in your Father's heart, you come and bring that to us. Send us from here knowing what it means. It means that we're yours. It means that we belong to you. We pray for that this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends?
Yeah. You know what I mean. So many of us appreciate so much of what our parents rebuked us about when we were young. How much more ought we let God do that? Dads, we've got a gift for you on your way out. We've got meat and we've got sugar. So when you leave and go through the foyer, we want to lay that stuff on you and bless you for Father's Day. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this day. Happy Father's Day. Go with God. Tell someone you love them.